This is Father Aaron with another podcast. The liturgy of today's Mass is marked by signs of its antiquity. Apart from its formal title, the Octave Day of Easter, today is also known as Dominica in Albis, the Sunday in White. It's one of the few Sundays that retain an official title, but the reason for this title is no longer evident in the liturgical discipline of our day. In former times, the neophytes, that is, the new Catholics, who just received full initiation in the sacraments of the Church on the previous Sunday, had all throughout this week attended Mass, still dressed in their white garments. And throughout the week they were continually taught by the bishop about the various sacramental rites of the Church and the benefits they gained from holy baptism. Today, however, they returned to the Church with their white garments folded, to be deposited in the sacristy for the next class of neophytes. Their initiation is now complete. Historically, today was the sort of conclusion to their long preparation for full membership in the church. They were now no longer adolescent Christians, but full adults. Now, I've been chanting the entrance and communion antiphons for the Sunday Masses I've celebrated during the quarantine. It's not a practice we see done in many parishes today, but we really miss out on some great connections the Church is attempting to make in these antiphons when they're not sung. In the first words of today's Mass, in the entrance antiphon, the Church instructs the neophytes to never lose the innocent and childlike longing they had for the sacraments, but instead, in the words of the antiphon, to desire the pure spiritual milk which the Church provides. We'll return to that thought later. The gospel today has been attached to this Sunday for over a thousand years. For one thing, because the events it recalls happened the Sunday after the original Easter day. There were two separate appearances of the Lord in this passage. One is on Easter evening. By this time in the narrative, the women have already gone to the tomb. Peter and John have seen the binding cloths and the angels. Mary Magdalene has seen Christ, Peter has seen Christ, an event we only hear hinted of in the Gospel, but we learn more about it later in Peter's letters. Christ has appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and now he appears in the upper room where the eleven, minus Thomas, were gathered. So a lot has happened. For pretty much the whole of our Lord's following, their world has been turned upside down in the course of a single day. But everyone is receiving the proofs they need to accept the resurrection. Christ is initially, excuse me, Christ is intentionally giving to every disciple 
the amount of information they need to accept the certainty of the resurrection because he's providing their witness for the future, for the church. They are going to be the foundation of so many other people's faith, for your faith and for mine. And so they have to get it right. It was enough for Peter and John to see the burial cloths. Mary Magdalene had to hear her name in the Lord's voice. The disciples and Emmaus had to see the breaking of the bread, the Holy Eucharist. And the rest of the apostles had to see Christ in bodily form, whereas we hear in another gospel account, he not only shows them his hands and his sides, but he eats a meal with them in order to prove that he's not a ghost. All of this, all of these people, they receive their proofs. All that is except St. Thomas. Poor St. Thomas, we always call him the Doubting Thomas, as if he was somehow the weakest link of the band. But we forget that the thing he is asking for, to see the hands inside of Christ, that is the precise proof that all of the rest of them had. Thomas isn't necessarily asking for too much here. And after all, it was Thomas who realized Christ was intentionally traveling to Jerusalem to be killed. When Christ sets his eyes on Jerusalem, all of the apostles call out that he is foolish, all except Thomas, who says, Let us go also that we might die with him. Thomas was not a fool, and he was not about to be fooled in such an important matter, so he demands a sign. And this brings us to the second half of the gospel passage. Now, our translation in the lectionary really lets us down here. St. John writes that the apostles were again gathered together in the upper room, this time with St. Thomas, and it was the eighth day. Now, to us, that may sound like it was just eight days later, or as the lectionary translates, a week later. But for the early Christians, the eighth day had a very special meaning. God began his creation of the universe in Genesis on the first day. And this, as we know, lasted seven days, or really six, with God resting on the seventh day. Then our Lord rose from the dead on the first day of the week, that is, on Sunday. But the early Christians often referred to this resurrection as the new creation, the so-called eighth day of creation. It's for this reason that many baptismal fonts, for example, are built with eight sides. We members of the church are the witnesses of the eighth day. We are part of this new creation through baptism. And so John, taking on the language of the early Christians, is setting out the story of St. Thomas for a particular purpose, especially as he prepares to conclude his gospel. It's sort of like the old children's books, where the last page is always the moral of the story. Here is where St. John will give us the moral of his whole gospel. And so we know the story. St. Thomas and the eleven are gathered in the upper room, and our Lord appears to them, as he did the previous Sunday, and he wishes a peace upon all of them. Then he turns directly to Thomas, and without being prompted, he says, Put your finger here and see my hands. Bring your hand and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. The spiritual milk of the church that I mentioned from the entrance antiphon, that is the sacraments. The Catechism defines a sacrament as an efficacious, that is, a visible sign of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the Church by which divine life is dispensed to us. The sacraments are external signs, rituals, which reveal interior and spiritual realities. They make spiritual realities apparent to us. When Christ appears in the upper room on both occasions, he proves to them that it is really him by means of a sign, 
the sign of his nail prints and his pure side. It's no wonder that St. Thomas, when he later learns of the appearance of the Lord, is not able to accept it. After all, the other disciples receive the precise proof that Thomas demands. Except I shall see his hands and the print of his nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The fact of the matter is that even the strongest members of Christ's faithful, because we're falling, because we live in a broken world, we still require the assistance of God's grace. Blessed are they that have not seen and have believed, says our Lord. Yes, blessed are those who do not need as much assistance as maybe the majority of the faithful perhaps require, in order to encounter the risen Lord. But our Lord's beatitude is not to be confused as a curse of Thomas, and of those like him who struggle in their faith. For these people, indeed for most of us, the Lord, in his loving mercy, has given us true signs, the sacraments, by which we can come to believe, by which we can encounter the risen Lord. Bring your hand and feel the place of the nails. See my flesh, he says, that I give you in the Eucharist. See the baptism by which I made you part of me. See the anointing whereby the Spirit was poured into you, and do not be faithless, but believe. Now it's no mistake that the Church, in her great wisdom, has chosen that for the communion antiphon today, as all of us should crawl to this altar in incredulity at the mystery we celebrate, that today the voice of the church will speak to us in the voice of the choir and say, Bring your hand and feel the place of the nails. The Eucharist, and indeed all of the sacraments, are for us the same as our Lord opening his side to Thomas. Christ wishes all of us to believe. He knows our weakness will prevent us from coming to the truth and therefore he gives us true spiritual milk to drink of deeply each time we come to the holy sacrifice of the Mass and each time we individually experience sacramental grace. Indeed, all of us are still neophytes in this school of perfection. But today the Church is urging us to leave behind the garment of our adolescence and to truly believe. Thus St. John concludes his gospel, saying, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe. It would be a great loss if any one of us were not to spend a great deal of time preparing for, experiencing, and reflecting upon the sacraments. Each of us need to probe the sight of Christ. And Christ is not offended at this. It is he who offers himself to us as a pure gift of his grace and mercy. It's in moments of our greatest doubt and trouble that we should avail ourselves to the sacraments even more, to daily Mass, to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, to frequent confession. We should take time to bring with us holy water from the church back to our homes, enshrine in our homes a crucifix and other holy images that can return our focus to God. Each of us needs to build a life of prayer at home, which stems from the sacred liturgy and observance of feast days and of fast. All of these are means to us of seeing the nail prints of the Lord. They're given to us that we may believe. Drink deeply of this spiritual milk, and do not be faithless, but believe. Alleluia. Christ is risen.